Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Hello. Hello. You still look very sexy, Sasha. I'm still <laughs> still rocking that hair. And is there blonde or something through it, is it? There is. You can see yeah. it in the sun a little bit today. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. I, I'm I'm rocking the Christmas festive kind of green. I look. see that. Yeah. And I remember when I learned, I'm telling a little secret here, that you dye huh. your hair red. Oh, yeah. And I was so heartbroken because I thought as an Irish woman, that was clearly just your natural color. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of people actually say or look disappointed. My natural (laughs) hair color is my eyebrows. So it's quite dark. Yeah. And uh, sporadically, since I first dyed it when I was 16 and sporadically, every few years I go back and I go because yeah. I want to go back I want to be dark and every single time I do people take me aside really nicely and say you're nicer red and <laughs> they do it a lot <laughs> like just just to tell you you, you know go back I think red. you look you look great with your hair whatever it is and I see your poinsettias in the background and that's yeah. appropriate because this episode is going to be airing just a few days before Christmas and this is our Third year anniversary. I know. Three years. We've gone through yeah. the terrible twos. And now, <laughs> now we're in year three. It's extraordinary. Me and you were just, as we were preparing, we were just looking back in our chat, like, you know, and our, our actual WhatsApp chat only started, mine and yours, in 2020. And then six yeah. months later, we had the podcast, the first podcast. Yes. So it's it's all happened in kind of like a serendipitous way, I think. I mean, I remember just floating the idea of a podcast and then several times I was looking through our old chat. We were like, no, it's not a great idea. Let's do this other thing instead. And then we kept coming back to this idea. That's the thing. Three years ago, it, it, it was the middle of COVID. It was, you know, 2020 Christmas and there was so much to do. It was so overwhelming. We'd never yeah. done we'd never done a parent meeting. There was no talk of conferences. We hadn't got a book out. There was there was nothing for parents. Yeah. Genspect hadn't started. Genspec started in twenty one. So it was yeah. like there I was doing some blogs. I mean there was there parents was. of ROGD kids. There were there some was. kind of groups and but things it was like a that. Secret but world. Yeah, it was, it was very, very underground. World. It felt very yeah. underground. <clears throat> And and I remember every time because I was doing the GDSN, the Gender Dysphoria Support Network meetings. And when I'd meet parents, they'd come in like they'd come in from a a lonely blizzard. Like they were, they were they'd come into the meetings yeah. like I can't believe people like you exist. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. They were they were so isolated. Yeah. Now you tend to meet them and they'll say, "Well, I saw you on this, and I watched this, mm-hmm. and I read mm-hmm. this," and they come in. It feels to me like. Uh, knowing a lot more. However, I've heard it said that like maybe I'm in my my own echo. Well, I am in my own echo chamber. So maybe I'm just not seeing the yeah. people that are still out there that have no, never I, heard of anything like. I think there from. are a lot of parents who are just barely realizing that there's another way to look at this. I meet them all the time. I mean, like parents will join my membership group after years of you know, affirmation and gender clinics. And then they feel very apprehensive, like, are these people going to be weird or crazy? And then they realize that we're like sane, reasonable, educated, nice people. And it's very shocking. So I think we can definitely exist in, you know, we're knee deep in this material all the time. So I think it's easy to forget how many people are still very lost at sea with their families or a niece or one of their students or a teacher or a therapist who, you know, maybe they're in a group practice that's kind of insular and they're being, you know, told that this is the way you deal with gender and they don't realize there's a different way to look at it. And they actually don't realize how controversial this area of medicine is. So it's it's really, you know, when we started the podcast, we were thinking about parents, but as we've done this for three years now, I'm realizing there are so many more people in addition to parents 
who find this to be grounding. I mean, we hear from people all the time. Um, and we'll, we'll read some comments later, but you know, it's just, it's interesting. We, our first episode aired December 18th of 2020. So really just around now, three years ago. So we were talking a lot in our chat for maybe six months before the actual podcast went up. But I remember you saying to me that I had kind of very classic me said, oh, we'll do it in December. And you had a heart attack on September <laughs> or December. That's too soon. And I had no completely oblivious that I had rushed you. <laughs> and over, and we, yeah, we did put it out in December. But I remember at the time, my big fear was trans activists basically misrepresenting something that we would say or um it was it, it felt tense at the time we were we were putting it out but we felt like we were doing something very bold yeah if you follow me it felt like a very very almost controversial thing to do which is a podcast about gender in a thoughtful way it's, it's funny but it really did feel like it was bold but those first two episodes um one which is the kind of you know, what is gender dysphoria type thing? And then the second, the ROGD, they're still uh, among our, our most listened to on the audio. Yeah. I can see it why. It was though. really interesting. I mean, we've done so many episodes also with like huge guests and really big names and about really controversial topics. So it's very interesting that these two very simple episodes, like, you know, gender identity versus gender dysphoria, the theory and the concept, yeah. and then ROGD. These are our two most listened to episodes, which is amazing. And you know what I find interesting? Because I've learned so much in the last three years, I've learned so much in the last six years, I've learned so much. But I don't think there's much in all our episodes that I'd go back and say, we didn't know what we were talking about. Many times yeah. we might have been cautious saying there's more to say. But there isn't as much egg on my face three years later as I thought there'd be. Do you know what I mean? Because, the, you know, yeah. when you talk for like it's a, nearly 100, I think it's a 150 odd hours, 50 episodes a year, roughly in and around. Yeah. That's a lot of talking about gender. And when you know that there's trans activists waiting for a mm -hmm. misstep, waiting mm -hmm. for a fact that's wrong, waiting for anything. Honestly, I I. I Definitely think I've had an awful lot more criticism from gender critical people, a lot more than I have from trans activists in those yeah. 150 hours. No doubt about it. They're yeah, definitely sure. waiting as well with their pitchforks. So, yeah, there are a lot of people who obviously feel very strongly about the issues that we cover and they're, you know, listening and and waiting for something to kind of jump on. But to be honest, I mean, much more than that, we've had such positive feedback. And it's interesting, a couple of other kind of like highlights from this yeah. year, since we're like wrapping up yeah. the year was the episode by Rose, um, yeah. the, the mother who had affirmed her son and decided to walk it back. That's a huge one. And that was that an was, amazing episode. That was one of my favorites. There was something so genuine about her. And I remember when, when, she, when I first heard her story, I thought if she could be listened to by somebody from, from you know, who is deep into gender identity theory and doesn't know the controversy, it yeah. could really change people's minds because she was such a true believer. And then... Yeah. She she realized she was believing in something that was made of clay. It was it was a, it's a really good episode. Yeah, she talked about having to lead her child out of it. She said something like, "I led my kid into this. I have to lead him out." And it's it's a very touching episode. And she's so articulate and thoughtful. And we'll make sure to include these episodes in the notes as well if anyone wants to go back and oh, revisit yeah. them. And then pathologizing normal was number two of the year, which I was really surprised about. It was an episode you and I did by ourselves. Yeah. Just yeah. talking about the, the emphasis on labels and diagnoses and giving um, kind of a medical understanding to all of these normal human experiences and emotional experiences. That was an interesting episode, too. That reminds me of Abigail Schreier's new book, which I can't wait to read, because it's called Bad Therapy. And basically, mm. it seems to be about how we're pathologizing normal. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's increasingly the issue. Yeah, for you know sure. what I mean, among young people and the way they speak, you know what I mean? I've even started speaking in diagnosis speech. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. I'm throwing diagnosis on myself. I gave myself ADHD a few minutes ago. Like, it's unbelievable <laughs> how yeah, much sure we just, <laughs> but how much we throw yeah. uh, diagnosis into our speech. We pepper our world with it. 
Yeah, yeah. I was speaking with someone the other day who, who kind of very casually said, well, ADHD is to- totally genetic. It's in the brain. And I was like, you know, there's no evidence for that. I mean, it's it's very interesting how attached people get to labels. And ironically, we're at a time when everybody's recommending that people should go to therapy. So like I listen to podcasts that have nothing to do with gender. And sometimes the hosts will, you know, if they're cl- if the interviewee gets a little emotional, they'll, they'll say, you know, are you in therapy for this? Are you oh, talking to a therapist yeah. about this? And it's done from a place of, you know, trying to stay within one's lane and not overstep, right? Not to give psychological yeah. advice, but everybody is advised to go to therapy about everything. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting episode. I tried to say, oh, yeah, I tried to say in that context, I tried to say to people, have you got support? Just just thrown in my tuppence worth because that leaves it open to, yeah, my husband's very good. Yeah, my my friend's very good to me. My mother is a a stalwart. You know what I mean? Like rather than presuming therapy is the only way. But anyway, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah. yeah, Tiresias, is it? No, uh, that's from our our all time. But this year, Hannah Barnes was number three. Oh, yeah. Ah, that, that was, was an amazing episode as well. Yeah. Hannah Barnes was, yeah. um, you know, coloring the, the JIDS collapse. And it was a brilliant book, Time to Think. Then number can, four. Can, can oh. I just point out something? Sure. Just, there's, there's so much to say, obviously, about gender three years in. But like, you know, Time to Think, absolutely, expose on the Tavistock. Okay. Cat Review created, you know, an independent review on puberty blockers in the UK. Um, they came, the cast review came out, Time to Think came out as the kind of Ooh. the secondary kind of, this is not appropriate what's going on in the staff stock. And when the cast review came out, June 22 or something, uh, they said, you know, JIDS will be closed by March 23. And JIDS is still open. Mm. It's still open. There's still extraordinary uh, stories coming out of it. And just this week in the Daily Telegraph, they've said since JIDS was was notified to close in June 22, the number of prescriptions for puberty blockers has doubled. Yeah. It just proves my point that I continuously keep on saying, which is there's a medical war and a cultural war. Until we get to the culture, we've got to get to the hearts and minds of ordinary people because by the time they've got to the doctors, it's too late. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the 11th hour. The child Mm -hmm. is so knee deep in it and the parent is just following that this idea that we can just continuously talk about, like that was a phenomenal multi-pronged attack on the Tavistock, which was the largest pediatric um, ch- child transition clinic in the world at the time. And it's uh, it's still open. It's still open for business and the prescription numbers has doubled. And I'm not taken away from Hannah's book. It was a phenomenal book, but it should yeah. have closed that that service. And it's still ongoing. Well, can you maybe fill, fill me in? Because I'm not so familiar with what's happening. But wouldn't the cast review have been the reason that the service closed? I thought they yeah. were slated so to close. And what, I were, guess what happened, do you think? Exactly. So the cast review came out and it was recommended that it close. And it was recommended, it was a brilliant idea, that multidisciplinary teams that were regional would open. Right. So that there'd be right. different clinics. So you wouldn't be traveling 400 miles for your once every, you know, two months um, uh, appointment in London and it would be multidisciplinary so if they had autism or mm-hmm, had, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be overshadowed so it was a brilliant idea and we on our side thought okay great you know what I mean we've we've made the point the cast reviews come out it's it's just not the evidence does not stack up for this to continue that was followed up with Hannah Barnes book Right. I don't know when that came out, but when that came out, it was say the very same thing, but worse in a much more kind of uh, elaborate and comprehensive way saying this service from the beginning had problems. There's been whistleblowing since 2005 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and off it went. Massive details specifically about service rather than just puberty blockers per se or, or you know, the affirmative approach. So backing it up. Close this service. And then as far as I can see, what happened was there was dragged dragged heels from bureaucrats. There wasn't buy-in from the from the JID. This is my read of it. Okay. Other people will have okay. different reads. But there wasn't buy-in from the JID's clinicians. People didn't. The culture war got in the way 
And they have managed to keep that service open, even though it's been recommended to close. And so it's many months after it's closed. And now they're talking about maybe, maybe it'll be closed next year. But it's it's all very nebulous. And this is, this is, they're going to, when they write the full analysis, they're going to say from the moment it was slated to close, due 22, from the, that moment on, those mm-hmm. children were officially being badly neglected. And now mm-hmm. what are we, December 23? And it's mm-hmm. still going on. And then don't forget they've doubled the number of puberty blocker prescriptions. So yeah. it's, and I, I, I just so you know, like for anybody who's interested, like I had, you know, a reason to be in part of the um, NHS clinic. I was, I was, you know, acting as an advocate for somebody and they asked me my pronouns and they knew who I was. And I was like, one they don't pronoun- get it. My they pronouns don't are obvious yeah. for starters. <laughs> yeah. And two, it's pretty offensive to ask me my pronouns, really. Insofar as I was coming in to be an advocate for somebody who's in, in distress. What the hell? They are so culturally mm-hmm. sold. They honestly think that there's only yeah. one way. And this is a year and a half later. It's it's yeah. unbelievable what's going on. Anyway, that's the Hannah Barnes episode. Well, let Still me say, though, that does remind me a bit of like prohibition. Because when you have true believers that this is the right thing to do and there's a threat of taking away that like quote treatment to the children you know there's a kind of panic and a scramble which i would imagine maybe explains what's happening with the puberty blocker prescriptions going up you know like any family that's a true believer who thinks that this is what's good for their child is going to be rushing to the service and the service may be even erecting less guardrails because everyone thinks that this is a life quote life-saving treatment that's about to be taken away so it really puts everybody in a bind because you know i don't i don't know how to get true believers to understand i mean that's what's so particularly interesting about this gender thing there's a type of belief system that underpins all of this that you can't even access with data and science and facts. And of course, that's not everybody. Like lots of people who are even transitioning don't believe in the belief system. Yeah. But man, it is so powerful. But I think you've nailed it with that. You've nailed it. And I think, you know, how did gender come into the consciousness so that people think it's some sort of hormonal imbalance and they think people are born with, with you know, pink brains and blue brains, you know, I'm being yeah, trite, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. Um, they truly do believe the hormonal thing. Every time I give a talk, I ask people at the beginning, what do you think? And somebody puts up their hand oh, and they say, it's, it, there's some sort of hormone imbalance. Generally, people start talking about the woman when she was pregnant, some sort of hormones. There's so much hormones in the water. You know, the way there's yeah. a lot of talk about estrogen in the water and things like that. So it's kind of interesting that that's what people think. But I think what you, you've you just highlighted is such an important point, which is, again, we think that the facts are going to get us everywhere. But actually, what did get gender everywhere? It was stories, stories of trans yeah. people. And it's the culture. It's the culture. Mm-hmm. It's the stories of detransitioners. It's the stories of the parents. It's the stories that we can relate. That's what's going to get into the culture. It's not It's not going to be 44% said this and 33 right, right, right. That just doesn't get anywhere, you know? I think that that, that reaches some people, but I think the bigger issue kind of will not be, you know, people who are true believers don't really care about that. And, you know, this, we can keep talking about our highlights from the year, but just on a personal level, my two favorite episodes from this year were Jamie Reed and Eliza Mondegreen. And particularly I'm thinking about the Eliza episode because her investigation into these online communities really shows what the true believers believe and the way any kind of fact can be turned around into something quote transphobic or dangerous or like this is a slippery slope if you start thinking this way. So the kind of high control group mentality amongst true believers, and we see this with the medical zealots, right? Like the people that Fourth Wave now has covered with such incredible detail, like the the doctors who are really pushing for younger and younger interventions, we see the true believers and how they think and Eliza's just her coverage of this is so important like I don't think we can talk about just medical things we have to understand the psychological 
kind of aspect of this. And the culture that the psychological, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they're in. The culture they're in, Eliza's absolutely expert on the culture that yeah. they're in. And I, th- I think, you know, in a way, Eliza's very underused as a, as a real... She's got a really astute analysis of what's going on. We should not only have her on, we should have her on regularly. Like she really is calling across she's like great. she has yeah, she's yeah, there she's and she's tracking it. Yeah. And it's it's extraordinary how she can kind of synthesize the information. I loved our Jamie Reed. I loved our Jamie Reed chat. I remember yeah. I was very stressed that day. I was driving somewhere and I hadn't done what I wanted to do before the episode. So I was really hassled going in, you know, one of those days. But then it was so good because Jamie is just such a good communicator. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, she's yeah. brilliant. She's so but clear I, and articulate. And in Genspect, she was amazing too. Wasn't Denver. she? She's, she's yeah. so She's so moving. She's 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 like a, a you know a public speaker that actually can yeah. grip the crowd. Yeah, she, yeah, she's going to go very far. I loved at the beginning of the year we had two in a row that I, that really really was. I was very excited to get them. Michael Biggs, who I adore, the ground he walks on. Yeah, and his research is so good. And it's yeah. so razor, so razor sharp. And then, as far as I remember, after him or before him, we had the Dutch journalists. And I really felt we were really coming together with a really good, um, almost a profile of the Dutch. Because then we had Genia later on. And I just Mm -hmm. thought like between like the year before having Anne-Lou de Vries and Steensma, our kind of analysis of that interview. Then we had the Dutch journalist talking about trying to get the story out. Michael Biggs, more about it. And then Genia. It just felt like we were really doing something very worthwhile. With, yeah. with our analysis around that. So I was very, that was, I was really quite proud of that. Yeah, I was proud of that too. I mean, we've covered so many angles. It's funny because we were just talking about the cultural piece and then we have like the deep research piece yeah. and the, the kind of data yeah. and the science. So it's so cool that we've been able to have these amazing guests on from very different angles, all talking about this super important thing. We'd like to jump in here really quick and offer up a thank you to Genspect, one of our sponsors. Genspect is an international organization that offers a healthy approach to sex and gender. Genspect recently hosted the Bigger Picture Conference in Denver, Colorado. There, they introduced the Gender Framework, a comprehensive, non-medical means of dealing with distress about gender issues. Go to genspect.org to learn more. We'd also like to give a shout out to GETA, Gender Exploratory Therapy Association. If you're looking for a therapist for yourself or your child, check out the GETA directory. And if you're a clinician who is questioning the affirmation model and you're looking for resources and community, please consider joining GETA today. Visit genderexploratory.com to learn more. Let's read some comments that were left this year. I mean, there were, first of all, we want to say there are so many incredible, notable comments that we see from yeah. you guys, from the listeners. And we talk and we about just, Yeah, we talk about them. We mm. just don't have a chance to necessarily answer all of them on YouTube. Mm. But we wanted to just kind of pluck out a couple and read them today and uh, talk about it a little bit. So should I read the first one here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this was a comment on episode 133, Is Trans Really the New Gay?, And Hellcat says, as a parent, I find it saddening that children are often under pressure to declare their sexual and gender identity before they're even close to sexually developing. My daughter was asked at school, along with the whole class, to place herself on the spectrum of gender identity and declare her orientation at 11 years old. She was so confused and it took months to work through it. Wow. Wow. You know, that's a real issue because it's, you know, imagine just do the very same with a six year old and you'd say, not wow, you'd say, ick, completely creepy. And the fact is some 11 year olds are that far away from a sexual awakening. You know, so it's, it's really not appropriate. And I don't think we as a society are handling that. It seems sweet, but it's not sweet for the kids who feel it's too fast. It's horrible. It's it's creepy for them. And it's not just that. It's not like even in the private counselor's office, maybe this 11-year-old was asked like a broad question like, yeah. at this point, do you know who you like yet? And then she could have said no. But this is in front of other kids where they have to like arrange themselves on a spectrum. That's in both embarrassing and it kind of 
puts everything in a, in a public way. And this it's, kid doesn't even know what they feel yet. Like it's, yeah. so, it's wrong on so many levels. And it's so interesting because I can remember <clears throat> being that age and I was having these insane crushes at the time, like psychopathic crushes, really <laughs> intense. Everything I do is very intense, but I was even more intense back then. And I would have died a death. Mm-hmm. If somebody had, mm-hmm. it was obviously the privacy to do with a sexual development mm-hmm. was, is related to the secrecy of the crushes yeah. or something like yeah. that is going on. Yeah. I don't think this is very well studied and I'm very interested in it increasingly so. But I would have had a heart attack if somebody had asked. I really would have really. And that, was, that wouldn't have been because I wasn't having a sexual awakening. It was because I was having one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so hard at those first it's years terrible. of it. Yeah. Um, we wanna we also wanna shout out Gen G who listens oh yeah. to probably every episode and is always commenting and it's it's really, really sweet. Um you always know, she, thoughtful she, comments. Yes, very. She writes here, Thank you for your videos and your very thoughtful, compassionate approach. And then she kind of talks about her own experience transitioning and how, you know, she's much happier now, but has a lot of problems with kind of making these decisions on behalf of children. So just thank you for all your thoughtful comments, Jen. We really appreciate it. Um, oh, there's a really interesting comment here about the Dutch protocol. And even though it's a little long, I do think yeah. it's worth going into it. Do you want to read this? This is okay, so interesting. Yeah. So let me have a look at this. So often, the, let me just get it up. Um, so I'm getting, this person says it's Manvis, who I have mm-hmm. noticed has given me great support. So thank you very much on Twitter. And it has not passed me by and I really appreciate it. But um, this person, the same person is saying something that she thinks is, or he thinks is being overlooked with the Dutch protocol. Often the criticism is that with puberty blockers, the sexual functioning is, is gone. Boys can't achieve orgasm anymore and both boys and girls will become sterile adults. To put this into contest, bef- context, before June 2014, the law in the Netherlands was such that transsexuals who wanted to change their sex had to be sterile. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So not just temporary, but permanently they had to be infertile. And one of the reasons for that was that a a child couldn't have two mothers because that would give legal trouble. So effectively, if the man transitioned to the woman, he had to be sterile so that he wouldn't break, you know, he wouldn't break that law. as Which is essentially it's a homophobic law. It's a law about same sex couples, really. Yeah. And it harkens back to the Christian principle that a marriage should be between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. only about 80 or 90 people were changing their sex roughly around that year in in the Netherlands. So there wasn't a pressure to change the law for that. But the permanent sterilization meant people got, you know, quite serious uh, surgeries, such as having your uterus removed. And Mm -hmm. um, it was also another reason why people might have gone for, as they call it, you know, genital surgery. Um, so uh, they were also pushing for full transition, which was very much back then. Nobody was talking about this kind of half-baked transition. I presume non-binary wasn't really a major anything by June 24. I don't think so. I just ba- barely so. just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Barely in the conscious. And yeah. then that was June 2014. Then it changed and the number of legal transitions went from 80 in 2012 and 2013 to 750 um and 460 in 2014 and 2015. So massive jump. Wow. Yeah. 80 in 2012 and 750 in 2014. Two mm-hmm. years later. Yeah. So all the talk about sexual functioning, fertility, ability to orgasm. These these clinicians who were doing these studies in 2011, 2012 and all that, it was irrelevant about sterility because they would have had to be sterile. Yeah. This is a super interesting point that had not really been connected like that before. And I just want to, you know, I definitely want to investigate this further. Yeah. If anybody has information like, you know, uh, Manvis81, if you have any kind of detailed information or resources about this, we'd love to learn a little bit more. But that's particularly interesting. And thank you for your comment. And, and I'm particularly delighted that somebody so educated has been a great supporter. So thank I you. know. <laughs> I want to read this one because this one cracks me up. Um, so we I, need to give the background. We need to give yeah. the background. <laughs> well, you a, give a the listener, background. A listener wrote in 
a comment, you know, praising our show and telling us how much they enjoyed it. And also that Stella's voice puts (laughs) them right to sleep. (laughs) And so they have to be careful because they get so sleepy and woozy when listening to our (laughs) podcast. (laughs) So we joked about, you know, not operating heavy machinery while listening to gender, a wider lens, et cetera, et cetera. So this person has written again, Stella, would you like to read it? So this is Cyril 79. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm definitely, I do talk, talk too much and I can sometimes see that in my my husband's face (laughs) late at night he has this look and I think I'm losing him I'm losing him (laughs) but anyway so this person says I'm the listener who wrote in about listening to you guys to help me get to sleep and avoiding your lullaby lilts while driving picture it London 5am the 27th of October and coincidentally my 34th birthday Disorientated, I'm woken up to the sound of Spotify still playing faintly in the background, accompanied by the sound of a very familiar Irish voice reading some very familiar words. Yes, it was Stella who woke me up reciting my YouTube comment about who you guys who help me hit the hay pretty much every night. So not only do you get me to sleep, you now help me wake up. <laughs> I think it's a lovely, it's the first time I've ever woken up laughing. Oh. Oh, what a lovely way to start a new year of my life. Well, we absolutely love that, Christian. And we we hope that maybe this is a a new way to start your next year or a lovely way to start your next year. Yeah. Stella reading your second comment. This is becoming very meta. It's like, you know, the scenes in a movie where there's like a mirror and a mirror within a mirror and a mirror within a mirror. Like that's what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Somebody said on Peter Bogosian's episode 132, the role play was just about the best thing I've ever watched. I love that. And we thought it was amazing, too. It was a really good episode. I loved that. I loved that. I thought that was actually really good. I love the way he got into the soul of that so much with his tomatoes and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) I really, I really, yeah, (laughs) we were cutting tomatoes. Yeah, that really (laughs) stayed with me uh, the way he was. Because yeah. you always see the clever side of him. And there was something very fatherly in that side. It was it was yeah. really lovely. Well, yeah. I, I want to say something about that, too, because what I've noticed is when we are speaking with one another or when we're speaking with our guests, it's no holds barred. You know, we are speaking yeah. completely honestly and openly. And I've said this before, but people should be very mindful that this conversation between us and our guests is not at all reflective of what an effective conversation with a gender dysphoric person probably sounds like. Yeah. Right. So like if you have a young teen who you're concerned about coming at her or him with this type of a, a tone or attitude is not appropriate. So it was actually so valuable because we talk about concepts all the time, like lean in with love and like speak gently or whatever, but we don't actually demonstrate it. So having Peter show us, he got into a totally different mode. It was like very cautious and gentle and very incremental. Like, you know, it feels like you're moving at a really Mm. slow pace. And then when we went into the listener community, he totally like <laughs> ranted about parents and and how important it is to get in the fight of your life. So and no man, sugar, are, no sugar. Yeah, he talked about said, sugar. He said, "You want a bit of cake? No, this is the fight of your life." <laughs> For the okay. record, the gender wider lens does not discriminate against people who eat cake. We just want to say that. And I have particular sympathy for people who think. <laughs> um, I think we should consider that in 2024. And we'd love to hear listeners' comments about, you know, the year that we've had and, you know, the three years that we've had. It's extraordinary that we are bursting with ideas for 2024. Yeah. We're, no, we're nowhere near finishing this podcast. It's like we're just getting going. Like <laughs> three years in and we have massive, massive amounts more to say. But maybe we should consider doing you know uh, uh, uh almost a role play you know for the whole lot like like a, a, yeah. a quite a deep role play talking about it it would be very exhausting but it could be very 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 interesting you know i think Just that's a great idea yeah. i mean I know for sure that during our in-person events with parents, the role plays are a hit. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. But I think demonstrating what we mean is so powerful because, you know, like I'm thinking of one particular role play 
We often say, don't, you know, if you have an adult child who's trying to kind of bait you into an argument, don't give it a lot of attention, right? And I think anybody who listens to us would probably have been able to guess that that's our tip. But one time during an in-person event, we had a parent do a role play and their adult child was living at home with them. And the mom says, you know, my child will come downstairs and look at us and say, I'm going to pick up my hormones. What should I say? And we three were like, can you grab milk on the way back? Yeah. All you of know? us said milk. Yeah. <laughs> we said, well, can you, can you pick up also the dog food or something? Yeah, like very, yeah. and everybody, like, I remember the parents' face. Yeah. <laughs> Her jaw was like open. So there's a big difference between saying, don't give it too much energy and demonstrating, well, what does that really look like? And, you know, we don't know exactly how that would have landed on this child, yeah. right? We don't know what, what would have happened if mom just said, well, can you also grab the milk too? But, you know, it, it's so valuable, I think, for parents to hear how. Like, I know for me and my membership group, when I give specific language and offer like, hey, you could try saying it like this. You could try saying it like that. That resonates. So I think we should do a little bit more of that on the podcast. Yeah. And listeners, if you think that would be helpful, like, and even if you have a sibling who's going through some gender yeah. thing, or let's say your best friend is transitioning their child and you want to figure out like, how do we talk meaningfully about it? Um, first of all, our listener community has lots of examples of how to do that because we answer parent questions. But if you think that, you know, role plays would be helpful, let us know. Yeah, and suggested role plays, specifics. We've got a yeah. few things coming up next year that should be good. Yes. Hopefully some, you know, we, we, we'll continue to stalk JK Rowling. And she, <laughs> 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 I know we haven't, but wouldn't it be amazing? There'd be some people who would be amazing together. I think she'd be the top of our list, wouldn't she? Oh, yeah. She's our, our like one of our dream guest wish list people. Our North Star. We'd love to have her. We'd also love to talk to Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Um, Elon gives a call. E your friend, Stella's buddy, Elon Musk. Um, yeah, just ring us up. But I mean, these are kind of dream guests. But we have some actual guests who are also incredibly dreamy <laughs> in, in the best sense of the word. So you know, for sure, we're going to have Kathleen Stock on next year, who's yeah. incredible. We've been yeah. dying to talk to her. We're going to have good. Michael Schellenberger and Mia yeah. from Cry Me a River on Twitter on to talk yeah. about the W, w path, path files. files. So Which can you want to say yeah. more about this? I think 2024 is a very, very important year for America. I think, you know, gender, uh, you know, the epicenter of gender has been the USA. And yeah. 2024, it just feels like, I think this is so important. And I've been really watching the, the landscape of gender all around the world, watching, you know, the reviews coming in from Finland and Sweden and then the UK and really not changing the culture and watching it continue on and the culture in, in America pulsating, pulsating and becoming so polarised. And now the elections are coming up in 2024 and it feels like gender is going to be a, a, a definitely a card within the politician's um, kind of playbook as such. You know what I mean? They're going to be talking about gender. It's going to come up. So it, this is a few points I want to make. One, it gives all our listeners the opportunity to speak about gender more so than any other year, because it's going to be in the kind of the politicians. It was in, you know, it's, you know, between Gavin Newsom and DeSantis last night, they, they mentioned it. They're going to mention it an awful lot. And I think it's we've been having our dinner conversations for the exclusive content about how to speak about mm -hmm. gender. I think mm -hmm. this is the year if you aren't speaking about it, this is the year to speak about it and maybe come in through the politics, maybe come in yeah. through the politics. You're probably well versed if you're listening to us regularly. You probably know your gender. So many people do and start to speak out about it because like I said before, you're in the eleventh hour by the time the kid is in the in the office. You've got to in the doctor's office. You've got to talk to the culture first, the teachers, the coaches, the ordinary parents who are just kind of presuming that there's some sort of physical thing going on. And I think the W Path files. Michael Schellenberger has already released the Twitter files, and that you know it ended up going to Congress. And Explain so the, what they are, just for people who aren't aware. So the the W Path files are the Twitter files. Both. Okay, well, so the Twitter files were leaks 
that were going on, conversations that were going on about strategies within Twitter that were... Oh, really... this was a while back you're talking Oh, yeah, about. but he was... Part... Oh, yes, yes, yeah. the Twitter files. So he mm. was part of the group that released the Twitter yeah. files. And now, Michael Schellenberg, he did a really spectacular, and we'll link it in the podcast, a spectacular speech at, at, at Genspect, where his first sentence was something like, this, is t- this talk is about how we're going to end WPATH. And he has basically, he's had, you know, uh, whistleblowing content leaked to him about WPATH. And he's the man to do it. He's, 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 he's a brilliant kind of speaker. He's very charismatic. He's already released the Twitter files. And he understands yeah. the importance of the culture. And he understands the importance of California, Sanctuary State, Gavin Newsom, the political landscape, and how we need a golden bridge and this is the Golden Bridge because the Golden Bridge, as I'm only repeating what he said, but it's such a good point. The mm-hmm. Golden Bridge is you people who are completely bought in. This people who are just, as he calls them, you know, all on the left. He called himself a left UG, a left UG. Um, mm. Because he's saying they truly believe they're helping those children. And yeah. now it turns out when you read the WPATH files, you realize you were misled. You were given misinformation. And it has been incredibly damaging to many people. And the Golden Bridge is these people wanted the right thing. They wanted to help children. They wanted to help children that they thought were very vulnerable. And it turns out they were given the wrong information. And, you know, it was it was WPATH purports to be a scientific medical professional organization. And it's actually a trans activist led lobby group. And the, the WPATH files will reveal this. So I think it's such a good timing. 2024 and election year, WPATH files, it really feels very yeah. important. And it's important to say, too, I mean, to people who are maybe not familiar with what's going on in WPATH, you know, you say a trans activist lobby group and someone might say, so what's the problem with that? But oh, yeah. what they're advocating for is actually so d- dangerous and yeah. it's not at all about dignity or human rights or access to care. I mean, those are the kind of euphemisms that are often used by these lobby That's such groups a good point. that confuse people about what their goals are. But their goals are absolutely to blur the boundaries of child safeguarding and to give basically cosmetic intervention privileges to anybody who wants them at any age and to push people into questioning their gender and genuinely confusing people. So this is not just some sort of um, benign uh, lobby group that wants really positive goals for humanity. These are dangerous. And so when the WPATH files come out, I have not had the chance to, to see anything yet. But based on what I know about WPATH, this information is going to be completely shocking to regular people. This is not going to look yeah. like you know, fighting for trans rights. This is going to look like a very bizarre, dystopian kind of like Frankensteinian medicine series of documents and conversations. And it's so important because when I think about, you know, even though the landscapes are quite different, different, when I think about the cast review and what we imagined would happen and the result of that and the U.S., I think if you are a true believer, you could read the cast review as a misunderstanding of, you know, what affirmative care is. And maybe people are doubling down. I'm just trying to guess. I'm trying to figure out what's in the minds of people. Because I thought the cast review, I thought that was going to be the end of it. But it's clearly not. No, but if you, if you have the W path files, which exposes things from the horse's mouth... It's kind of like the way people end up leaving a high control group. They recognize inconsistencies and hypocrisy in the leaders. You know, yeah. like I want to say this because this has been on my mind and I mm. think everyone just I just want to say it out loud. There are some interesting documentaries right now about the Twin Flames cults, and I'm sure some listeners have been following them. Um, there's one on uh, Amazon Prime and there's one on Netflix, and I'm not going to give anything away but one of the really fascinating things is when people finally start to connect the dots, it's when they see the leaders doing something incredibly hypocritical and they recognize that like there's a double standard. I mean, amongst many reasons why people kind of break the bubble of, of the, the group think, but that makes me think with the WPATH files, maybe 
if we can see the insanity coming straight from the horse's mouth, yeah, that might wake certain people up. So it, I don't know. I, I think so. I think you're right. It's 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 because people presume that uh, the people in charge are as worthy and as 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 kind of um, well thought out as any other large scale world authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? That's the presumption. Yeah, it's the chain of trust. I know I go on about it all the time, but it's the chain of trust. There's a presumption. And then when you see the reality where they're talking, I won't give it all away, but it's chilling. It's yeah, chilling. It's really you know nuts. what I mean? And so then you realize, oh, oh my God. And then all the pieces fall and it's like going bankrupt. How do you go bankrupt? Very, very slowly and then very, very quickly. And, you, you know, there's there is plenty of precedent. And I want the links to those programs you were just talking about, because yeah. I love things like that. Well, but there's yeah, I forgot there's... to mention the reason that I'm tying this together is that yeah. in the Twin Flames cult, it's basically a cult about how to find your quote twin flame, which is the love of your life. And the oh. leaders are this couple that make YouTube videos. So there's no actual place. It's not like a church where people come attend. It's all online. And the, the leaders encourage people to pursue their, quote, twin flame aggressively to the point where some members had restraining orders against them. Some got arrested for stalking. And what eventually happens is that the leaders started encouraging people within the group, particularly women, to transition to male, claiming that they were actually, quote, divine masculine in their soul. And so they were like trying to match people up, like they were trying to match up two women from their cult, but make one of them become a man. So the gender piece is rife throughout this. And many of you guys will also find it very frustrating. They they had some like gender studies person on saying this is not what gender is about. Gender is about finding your own path and not letting someone tell you what your path is. So they obfuscated the gender thing a lot, but they did show that these people through coercive thinking were being convinced that they were a different gender. And anyone who listens to this podcast will know we think that is actually kind of how gender works in a lot of cases, not in classic dysphoria. No one convinced you as a child that you should do no, what you did, no, right? No. But in the contemporary world, we do think that's how gender works. But anyway, that's such an interesting series and you should check it out. Maybe over oh, Christmas right. we'll text about it. We hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. We just wanted to take a quick moment and say thank you to all of our listeners. Your support is the fuel that keeps this train running. So please be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platforms. And do be sure to check out the conversations that are happening on YouTube in the comments section. We think that we have some of the smartest, most engaged viewers out there, and we really appreciate all of the interactions. Also, we produce additional bonus content every week for our listener community on Patreon. Go to widerlenspod.com and click on join our listener community. Your financial support means a lot to us. And for those of you who are in need of parenting support and resources, we each have parent coaching membership groups. So please do check those out. You can find links to both of them at widerlenspod.com or in the show notes. And of course, you can always buy our book, When Kids Say They're Trans, out now in the UK and the US. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. Yeah. Have you any plans for Christmas, my lady? Um, well, one of the comments here... Um, I do want to talk about, because I mentioned food when we were talking about oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. So one comment here says, I would like Sasha's stuffing recipe. So for anyone who was not listening, I was talking about Thanksgiving. Because, of course, Stella, the Irish lady, was like, what the heck is Thanksgiving? What do you guys do? <laughs> no, and I was just saying, you know, it's, it's really a lot of food and turkey and stuffing. There's certain traditional dishes. My family kind of does a hybrid version of that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I was explaining that our stuffing is not like a bread stuffing. It's it's a rice stuffing. So I'm going to include in the notes this really great um, cook who's Egyptian, who lives in the UK, who's showing people how to make this dish. It's basically called, you know, in English, it's called like rice with a mix. And it's rosebel khalta and it's rice with like a nut mix. So you like toast the nuts and then you toast the rice and it's this very complicated but incredibly delicious recipe. And the YouTube recipe that we're going to include is made with liver, but we don't really make it with liver. We make it with ground beef or ground turkey. So it's basically rice, 
almonds, pine nuts, ground beef with garlic and spices and caramelized onions. And it's so delicious. So, um, I mean, that's not my entire holiday plan. You said, what's your holiday plan? Yeah. And I said, rice. <laughs> rice is my holiday plan. Is, is, I have other things going on in my life other than rice, but it is can, important. Can I ask, you're what, if, if I'm, if I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but you're Coptic Christian, is, is that? Yeah, yeah, which is one of yeah. the oldest, most ancient Christian in the world. It is. It is. Yeah. It Henry, is. my husband, is very impressed. He's obsessed with history. And he's always oh. asking me as if you have insight into the history of it. But I, I know very little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a really, really high esteemed kind of very ancient. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, high. I guess high esteemed if you are you know, a Christian who's really interested in Orthodox history. I mean, yeah. it's it's interesting in that the traditions and rituals are so largely unchanged over time, as is the nature of Orthodox religions. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. I remember when I haven't spent much time in Egypt, but I remember visiting um, in this kind of basement of this Coptic Orthodox church is like a place where Jesus and Mary were. Like, it's an amazing history. Um yeah, so Whoa. you know, it's it, it's very cool. And I remember, you know, as a kid, we we did go to church a little bit, not for many years, but for a few years. And um, the families there are quite uh, insular, I guess. Like they really yeah. just mingle amongst themselves, and that's not necessarily true in bigger cities. But you know, Orthodox religions tend to be very close knit communities and small. Um, but I'm not really involved, and I'm not really and do religious have, myself. Do they have unusual? What, what's your what's the Coptic Christmas? If you follow me, is it? Well, Coptic Christmas is actually a totally different day. It's on January seventh. They have a different calendar. Oh wow! And there's probably like a 15 hour church service. Like it's not so different from being Catholic. Like it's a long service. There's a lot of like standing and sitting and chanting and oh, hymning, yeah. and yeah. there's communion and there's all that stuff. Uh, lots of rituals and and a very very delicious offering bread which I was googling recipes for the other day it's kind of I think a little sacrilegious to make an offering bread as like a cheese sandwich but I'm thinking about doing it over Christmas <laughs> it's called Orban it's like this puffy delicious bread well as a Catholic Christian uh, I would say there's no such thing as a bad cheese sandwich <laughs> they are <Okay>. all good <laughs> can I ask when you guys yeah. take communion it's like a yeah. flat dissolving wafer right yeah. it's not like a delicious puffy chewy bread well Sasha it is the body of Christ <laughs> It's not a flat wafer. I would yeah. imagine that the body of Christ has a little more meat on it than a yeah. thin wafer, <laughs> but maybe not. Yeah, we. Ha why you have a thick? You our our offering bread is like delicious. It's like a French baguette almost. It's like very oh, indulgent. Really? Yeah, it, the first time I had like a Catholic. Um, communion disappointment i was like because i mean when it's time for communion in coptic church you're like excited because this is delicious bread <laughs> but really? then i got a catholic wafer and i was like mm. <laughs> yeah that's fascinating you and should is convert it like, is, it, <laughs> is it like big or is it smaller well when it's communion the priest has like a giant loaf and he breaks a piece off and gives it to you but then on the way out of church there's often a deacon or somebody with like a bag of little loaves and everybody gets a loaf but that's not like the the bread of christ or the body what? of christ bread only the communion bread is the body of christ bread i mean not that i believe any of it is literally the body of christ but yeah it's it's pretty good bread if anyone out there knows, like if you're Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, I'm guessing that you have a similar type of puffy, delicious bread. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. It's but fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> we don't have uh, many traditions. Uh, Henry's Catholic and our, my kids are proud. No, Henry's Protestant and my kids are Protestant and I'm, I'm Catholic. And um, we go to a lovely service, a choral service um, in mid-December. That, that, I love that. And I've managed to get oh. the kids there. It's just lovely. And everybody in the church is singing. And it's, it goes on for a couple of hours and it's all the hymns. And I really, really love that. That's like, it's, it's, it's a mix of all the religions in the town and they pick a different church each oh, year. That's it's interesting. Lovely. It's lovely. And everybody goes. So it's, it's, it's really nice. 
And I've I've successfully managed to to get the kids going, and then COVID came, and of course it stopped. Yeah. And then last year they nearly grew a second head in kind of like you're not seriously going to make us go to a choral service, and I was like totally serious, and oh. I did. So now they're sixteen and fourteen. There might be a bit of a riot this year. Oh. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to try and make them go. These are the years where you know the traditions kind of fall apart, aren't they? The teenage years. <laughs> Not when I was a teen. I was. I had no choice in anything that we did or didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Other we play, that, yeah. We play. We play games. Do you guys play games at Christmas? Like, do you do any yeah, specific, like we, family traditions? We try to. I don't know. We just don't seem to get around to doing it. My my sister's mad about games, so generally there'll be some sort of game over there. But I don't know. I, in my brain, where I'm going to do all this, and you know, but yeah. it never really happens. What sort of games do you play? Well, we we definitely, on my mom's side of the family, we play this white elephant game every Christmas where everybody brings a wrapped gift and puts it on a table. And then we each pick numbers out of a hat. So it's like, let's say there's 20 people. There's only 19 numbers. Okay. And then whoever's number one gets to pick a gift. And then whoever's number two (laughs) can either pick a gift or steal number one's gift. Oh, very good. And it's been opened at that point. And so it's a real heated, like, feud (laughs) about, you know, because, of course, some gifts are way better than other gifts. And a gift can exchange hands three times or something like that. So there's a lot of gift stealing and backstabbing and drama. Can number three rob number twos? Yes. Or or number ones. Or number ones. Yes. (laughs) It's an amazing game. It's so much fun. And a gift can be stolen three times, but no more than three times. So it's super fun. And then, of course, like the best number to get is the last number because you have the whole pick of the litter of who to steal as long as Uh, they haven't uh, been stolen more than three times. 19 is the last. And who doesn't get the number, if you follow me? Did you try to remember? Maybe I said that wrong. There's this, something weird about the last number or the first number. I, I can't remember what it is. You but better get it right. There might be fisticuffs and <laughs> Christmases all over the world. Because <laughs> Sasha, Sasha got it Ayan wrong. from Gender of Wider Lands told me to play this game. <laughs> yeah, Bam. like families it's are. It's my present. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to. I'll, I'll have to find a white elephant rules. And then put it in the in the the thing. And I mean, our family always also fights about the rules themselves. So people yeah. will pull it up sure, on that's one place and Google and be like, "You're doing it wrong." So, but it's really, really, really fun. And then because many of us, well, my sister and I travel to get there, we often have to leave our gifts behind anyway because there's no room in our luggage. <laughs> so <laughs> it all works out for the Florida locals. Yeah, that's a good so, one. So, um, I I would like to make a request which is something you've touched on in a previous episode. Okay. You ever so casually mentioned that you play the whistle. Oh. And many of our listeners were like, we would love to hear Stella play the whistle. Is that many of our listeners or is that Sasha, the podcast? No, it's all of our listeners. All 24 of them. No, just kidding. We know we have more than 24 listeners. But Okay. Yeah, you yeah. have. I think you have a whistle around there, I do. don't you? I always have a whistle. It's always there. It's my <laughs> Is there anything whistle. else we need to say before you begin your whistle Let's- outro? Yeah, what I'll do is I'll play it out so that people who don't, because some people are not a friend of the tin whistle. Forget <laughs> people, them. We don't need yeah, them yeah. anymore. So <laughs> we'll play it at the end so that some people can say, ah, no, like, <laughs> I'll cut it there. And <laughs> okay. I'll give them freedom. Is there anything else? Very much looking forward to next year and continuing with it. Yeah. Um, we would, we love our listeners and we, we, we really love the comments. We really, really, and they make us think, they're thought provoking, you know what I yeah. mean? It's, you know, the constructive criticism is just as welcome as the praise. Um, we do want to remind people, I think, regularly that me and you enter in a space when we go into it. We're not journalists. We're not trying to be journalists. Yeah. We go into the space of the person in front of us and our job is to to let them speak their story. That's our job, not to interrogate them with, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that, that's a different vibe. It's not our vibe. We're, we're kind of therapists yeah. by nature. Anything else? 
No, we're we're just we're incredibly grateful to all yeah. of the support and the listeners and yeah. You know, it's funny like now how many times like back in the day when I would ask parents who contact me or whatever like how did you hear about my work? Oh, it yeah. was like a Google search or Fourth Wave Now or something like that. And now it's almost exclusively gender a wider lens. Yeah. So we are it's just so um, lovely. We're so touched that this has reached so many people and people often say, you know, listening to you makes me feel sane and I don't feel so crazy. And we're, we're so grateful that this podcast helps you to feel normal. Yeah, <laughs> like I was person. at an event. I was at the Battle of Ideas in London a couple of months ago, the amount, which is not gender. You know, it's a, you yeah. know, it's heterodox, but... And uh, the amount of people who come up saying, I love your, I love your podcast, I love your podcast. Aww, it's just lovely. Yeah. It's just lovely. So we are doing what we hoped to do, which is to get the conversation going about yeah. a more thoughtful approach. So when we were like, I could see that in the chat, you know, um, <laughs> I went looking for podcast in mine and your WhatsApp oh, yeah. chat. And in it, the first <laughs> comment about the podcast is we've got to do I'll a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another one that says we've got to do an episode on babies. And then I think I answer, get some rest. We'll talk about the podcast another time. <laughs> or maybe you answer that. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we were thinking of this for months coming yeah. up to the podcast. And we're, we are thrilled. I think we're thrilled with it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We're excited yeah. to take a little rest, rejuvenate, enjoy yeah. the holidays and come back next year with some incredible guests. Oh, and we have the Law Series that we kind of yeah. are starting to set up now, which yeah. is going to be awesome. We are going to talk to some of the attorneys that are taking on detransition cases here in the yeah. U.S. And as you said, Stella, this is a real culture war issue in the U.S. Yeah. And there are so many lawsuits right now with like schools and detransitioners and malpractice. So we want to cover all of that. So we're very excited yeah. about all the plans for next year. And yeah. I, I'm just grateful. Thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning yeah. in and, and supporting yeah. and commenting. Okay. So my happy Christmas to everybody. So I'm going to do a tune. And um, just this week, Shane McGowan died. He was he's he's a hero of mine. He's beautiful. Oh. Yeah, he's an Irish, Irish musician, singer, songwriter, poet. And it was very sad that he died, but it's also very uh, relevant that he died because he's very well known for um, the famous Christmas song, Fairy Tale of New York, which we should probably put in the notes. And I'm not going to play that. But uh, like, I suppose I was thinking about our history because of Shane dying. And you know what I mean? I was thinking, what tune could I play? Because you had said, oh, would you play a tune? And I was like, oh, do I have to? But then I thought, <laughs> one of my favorite tunes, it's a thousand years old. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a thousand years old. It's been handed uh, down through the generations. It was written on the death of Brian Baru, a high king of, of Ireland, in ten, who died in 1014. And he died, he, he was, it was the Battle of Clontarf, it's a famous battle. And he was apparently, they say, you know, uh, praying in his tent. And oh. uh, a Viking, a retreating Viking, because we actually, like he won the battle, um, was retreating, a Viking was retreating, came into the tent, killed him, and that was the end of our high king. Yeah. And oh. the, the song was written to commemorate the, the, the death of Brian Baru in 1014. And it's called Brian Baru's March. But I was thinking, you know, the death of Shane McGowan, he's like a high king of Ireland in a modern parlance. And I was thinking, what would what would be a good tune? So that this is my tune for, for Shane. Yeah. So happy oh, Christmas to so everybody. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's not a Christmas tune. I thought of Christmas tunes, but I thought I have to do an Irish tune. But Sasha, you're very welcome to tap, especially if you've got wood nearby. If you want to be, you know, you've got dancing on okay. your... your you can tap. Yeah, I can. I can do it. I can find the rhythm. I'll hear <laughs> yeah, you for yeah. a little bit, and yeah, then I'll see yeah, how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And happy Christmas to all our listeners. Okay, I'll try this.
That's my lovely tune. Wow, oh, stop it! What does what does Tiny Tim say? Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Stella. Well, that was so lovely. Yeah, yeah, Prime Peru. Okay. And you just memorized that? You just knew ah, it yeah, off the yeah, top I of know that head? very well. But, but I made mistakes, I'm sure people will tell us. Um, <laughs> the Chieftains do a lovely version, so I'll, I'll put that in. It's really okay. lovely. There's a really lovely version of that. Oh, and you know what else we should include? Oh, yeah. The, the, the one video that you've sent me early in our friendship that everyone can be Irish, even if you're not oh, Irish. You know you what I'm talking about? You don't have to be Irish to be Irish. <laughs> well, I, I, said, that. I said it to you every Paddy's Day. <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody okay. well i guess signing off happy christmas everyone bye bye thanks for joining us this week on gender a wider lens listener support means a lot to us if you enjoy the show please like and subscribe on itunes and leave a review for more information visit widerlenspod.com there you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.